So it's my pleasure to introduce tonight's speaker. Um, I took some notes, you know. Um, I've, <laughs> I've known Charles for many decades. <laughs> uh, we got married in 1988. We moved to the Bay Area in 1997. And I've seen him through the years with his faithfulness to God, his family, and his church. His day job, and I know I've got this right because I checked LinkedIn. (laughs) Uh, He currently works in Silicon Valley leading a group of engineers. His hobby is improving the sound quality at Parkway. (laughs) Uh, Father and grandfather... I would like you to welcome Charles Rozelle. Thank you. So after that introduction, um, I want to pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your presence so far with us this evening, Lord God. Thank you that your presence is all we desire, Lord God. And Father, I pray that this evening as I... Try to speak your words, that you would fill my mouth with your thoughts, Lord God, and that your Holy Spirit would be present with each one of us, Lord God. And I trust that this evening will just be going further and further into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when you meet somebody, how do you introduce yourself? Do you perhaps say, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor? I'm a homeschool mum, I'm a musician, I'm a homemaker. Well, the person who just introduced me had an interesting way of doing that when she was young. When I first met her, she used to say, Hello, I'm Tina and I'm unique. Which was quite profound, actually. And it definitely got my attention, so something worked. So actually, that's probably closer to how God sees us than the more conventional, hey, I'm Fred and I'm an accountant. It's definitely less boring. (laughs) So some of us have been recently bringing up teenagers and some of us remember being teenagers and how they search for identity, how they really want to know who they are. And... That's a difficult time because you really haven't established a role in life yet. And they want affirmation, they want positive reinforcement, and they often want role models. But consider also the other end of life. If you're newly retired, or maybe you were made unemployed unexpectedly, you suddenly wonder what your value is. Who am I? I can't say I'm an engineer anymore, maybe retired, But that identity often comes from what we do. And all too often we accept society's assessment of how much respect and how much worth we have. And actually God's view is often very different from that. Yeah, often society values us for our economic output. I mean, how boring is that? Or our earning power. And definitely God's view of things is completely different. So with this scripture, actually I'm going to read it. 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So who we are in God's eyes was already established before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be in Christ and to have his attributes. So tonight, we've been studying the book of Acts, and I'd like to take two characters from the book of Acts and explore how those people encountered the power of God and how they responded to the callings on their lives. One went deep, the other not so much. So let's take a closer look. So one of the people I'm going to be talking about is Stephen. Simon. Uh, Simon, the sorcerer. And the other you'll see in a minute. So Joel Pollard's preached on uh, Simon the sorcerer's story, and he did a really good job. But I want to bring perhaps a different perspective. So when I bring scriptures up, I'm going to have my wife read them, and then I'm going to add some commentary after each one. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So this is how we find Simon at the beginning of this story. And... He had boasted that he was someone great. And I got a lot of reinforcement for that point of view from people around him. It says people both high and low gave him their attention. And that must have been a good feeling, quite honestly. But where was Simon's identity and self-worth coming from in that case? It was not coming from a good place, I can tell you that. So although we may not be into sorcery, at least I hope not, many of us have lived in that place of gaining credibility and some, through some kind of skill or prowess. And to be honest, I've been uh, in that situation myself in my professional life. Especially starting a new job, I might want to come in and show that I've got some skills, that I've got some attributes that they might like. You definitely do that in an interview but some of us carry on a little bit too long into working life. So if you're trying to be the smartest guy in the room, that can also make you the biggest pain in the room. Uh, Yeah, because your, your agenda is to prove something about yourself and everybody else's agenda, hopefully, is to get the job done. Simon, you see right now, we can see he was an attention junkie. He boasted and probably believed that he was someone great. And he had lots of positive reinforcement for that, even though his ability, in quotes, was borrowed from the demonic realm. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. 
So suddenly, in a scene that was previously dominated by the demonic manifestations of the supernatural, the real thing shows up. Hooray! And Philip is the guy who's bringing that by faithfully proclaiming the good news. Some might say that Simon did everything he was supposed to in this situation. He believed and he was baptized. What more do you want? But notice where Simon's attention really is. I've kind of underlined it for a hint. So Simon did believe and was baptized, but his focus seems to have been on Philip. And his focus was on Philip, not Jesus, because he saw Philip's abilities given supernaturally. And Simon's value system seems to have remained a little bit static from where it was before. He still had the mindset of a professional user of supernatural power for his own ends. A magician, if you like. If he can borrow demonic power to make himself look good, fine. If he can make use of kingdom power to the same end, even better, or so it seems. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So it's a bit too easy to miss the significance of what's happening here to the people of Samaria. People were coming into their full inheritance as sons and daughters of God. They were receiving the spirit by which they could cry, Abba, Father. And this is truly how the good news is meant to be received. Notice, though, that it took Peter and John arriving on the scene to address the issue that the new believers had not yet received the Holy Spirit. It was clear to Peter and John that something was left undone that should have been done. And they were glad to receive that gift. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So listen to what he says. Give me also this ability. This ability. And notice also that he saw that the gift was given. That means he observed it from a distance. He wasn't the first in the prayer line. In fact, he may not have been in the prayer line. Instead of, give me this intimate relationship, he says, give me this ability. So Simon's past life has taught him that when he can borrow supernatural ability, he can have status, money, and self-worth, at least that's how it feels to him. But what is being offered here is far beyond Simon's comprehension. He's being offered sonship. Yeah. So Simon had no idea of the value or even the nature of what was being offered to him and was freely available to him. And Peter rebukes him thoroughly for missing the point so badly. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter doesn't mince words here. He actually speaks prophetically. He sees right into Simon's heart. And this is almost the same tone that Peter spoke to Ananias and then Sapphira before they dropped dead. (laughs) But in this case, there is a difference. He actually does offer a path back for Simon, should he choose to take it. He says that he should repent and pray for forgiveness. You don't offer that if there really isn't a way back. There is a way back. Uh, But to to benefit from that, though, Simon will have to engage with the heart of God. If he wants his own heart to be put right before God, he will have to engage with God directly. This is not a case for self-help or therapy. Only connection will do. And if you read on in the passage, you'll see that Simon doesn't directly engage with, with Jesus. He says, pray for me that this will never happen. So cast another spell and I'll be safe. He's still not getting it. He's not getting the relational aspect that he's being offered. So that was one person's story. I want to go on and uh, take a look at Saul, who becomes Paul, in Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here's Saul, a man fully determined to root out and destroy the Lord's disciples. He was fully committed to his mission, in quotes. And we could certainly say he was zealous. He was a man whose zeal had to go somewhere. And right here, as we find him, it's going in precisely the wrong direction. So I have a question for us. Would we consider Saul, if we had met him, an impossible case? I think there's many of us who see how people are oriented and we think there's no way for them back to the heart of God. And just round the corner, God's about to encounter Saul and prove us completely wrong. So let's not write off people whom the Lord may be in the process of saving. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So you notice I've suddenly jumped from Acts into Philippians. And the reason for this is that in Saul's case, we're fortunate to have a first-hand account of the inner transformation that happened by his own words. From this uh, verse, we can pretty much surmise what was the mental self-image that Paul had while he was persecuting the church. If we had asked him, who are you, Saul? He might have said something like this. I am a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a keeper of the law, a protector of the truth entrusted to the Jews, and for extra credit, I persecute the church. I mean, that, I'm not being flippant there. He, he would have had that kind of attitude about what he was doing. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So a man like Saul, bent on persecuting the church and convinced of his own flawless performance before God, such a man needed a a dramatic intervention. And sometimes we too are so caught up in activity that we think is right that we become an unguided missile. And that's kind of how I see Paul right here. He's an unguided missile. He's full of power and zeal, but it's aimed in the wrong direction. So keeping a sensitive and listening to heart, to God's still small voice, is key for those of us who can get so busy with important stuff. Mary had chosen what was better, and it won't be taken away from her, as it says in Luke 10.42. And sometimes we also get so fixated on our worthy mission that the only thing that would get our attention is a crisis. I hope that's not often the case, but it can be. And you'll note that Simon was blinded for a period of time after this encounter. So that really got his attention. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So again, we're lucky to have Paul's own testimony of the result of God's intervention in his life. He didn't get there in an instant. In fact, we, really, we can read in Galatians 1, verses 16 and 17, that he went into Arabia for three years, and he got counsel, but not from flesh and blood. So he was really uh, going to Jesus to find out his new identity in that time. So he had invested heavily in a way of life, but now he considers it all loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. Once you know it's there, you'd be smart to sell everything to buy that field. He also said it's like a pearl of great price. You'd sell every other pearl to get hold of that one pearl of surpassing beauty and great price. And just as we were singing in worship, our value and our mindset is that we value Jesus' presence above everything else. So Paul gets it at this point in his life. His objective is not to gain a ministry or a following, but to gain Christ. This is personal. He wants to be found in him. So notice that phrase, in him. It's not one I hear too many Christians using in conversation, unless they're directly quoting scripture. In him is more than a casual connection, or even part of the fan club. It's as closely bonded as, he is the vine, we are the branches. So I set up the stories of these two characters and how they reacted to their callings. And I just want to 
put the contrast in starkest possible terms and one-liners here. So Simon the Sorcerer's cry of the heart was, give me also this ability. And Paul the Apostle's cry of the heart was, I consider all this garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So this is the key difference between Simon the Sorcerer, whose name didn't change, we don't have a new name for him, and Paul, for whom everything changed. His whole value system and identity changed. One wanted to purchase the gift of God with a portion of his wealth so he could be a better magician. The other uh, wanted to give everything, was prepared to lose everything, to be found in Christ. And as Joel said, Simon was transactional, but Paul was relational. But not in a partial or cautious way. He was all in. He held nothing back. For Paul, Jesus my Lord really meant what it said. Jesus was fully in charge. Whatever life Paul now lived in the body, he lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved him and gave himself for him. You can hear the passion in those verses, right, from Galatians 2.20. So what about our story? When we look at other people's stories, we should be uh, tempted to compare them to our own. I'm going to have us think about these in, in, a, little, in a few minutes, but uh, when we compare the attitude and outcomes of Simon the Sorcerer and Paul, we can see a huge difference. We know that by his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness, as it says in 2 Peter 1.3. Whether we ever had a dramatic intervention like Paul's or not, We've all sensed God's calling and presence in our lives. Some of us may still be clinging on to our old identities, especially if they were, quotes, working for us. Perhaps they gained us respect and income, something to hang our hat on. Even in the Christian ministry world, it's all too easy to identify our value by our gifting or activity. I would suggest this is a mistake. So to misquote Shakespeare, to be or to do is not the question. Being is not at war with doing. I would say if you have to choose one of the, of the two, you probably don't, but if you have to choose, you should choose to be found in Christ Jesus, just like Mary sitting at his feet. But if you think that's a recipe for an idle church focusing inward, I definitely understand your concern, but I actually disagree. The more we're in Christ, the more we are really branched, branched and plugged into the vine, the more authentically we represent Jesus living in us. Authentic Christian lives happen when, we, when the ways of our being, that is what we do, are aligned with the truth of our being, that is who we are in Christ. So Paul spent three years in Arabia after his Damascus experience, as he says, not consulting with flesh and blood, but communing with God, to both understand who he was and what he was called to do. Paul was powerful and effective, 
we would call him a world changer. That's our mission statement. We want to be world changers. Because he was in Christ and he ministered from that place of connection. There's absolutely no substitute for that. So one of the things I've been doing this year with Tina is attending a group called Hunger School um, that's run by Chuck McCallum. They meet here. And their curriculum actually gets this very right, in in my opinion. They kind of have four stages that they want uh, people to go through as as they progress. The first one is intimacy with God developing a deep secret life and falling in love with Jesus all over again. The second is identity, to live fully as a son and daughter and live your life as God sees you. And then they go on to authority, the culture of honor, and the simple gospel. But notice they put first things first, intimacy with God and identity. That's such a profoundly important thing to get right. So I'm asking for you to reflect a little bit. How about you? Each of us are on different journeys. God, though, is inviting us deeper. He's a jealous and passionate lover of our souls, and he wants fellowship with us. So I'm going to play a song that speaks to this a little bit and just let you think about that and meditate on it. Um, It goes on for a while, but if you finish thinking about these things, just let God's presence invade your heart as he speaks to you. And then we'll have some testimonies.
Yeah, you can sense that invitation, can't you? So I wanted to hear some other people's stories. Everybody's life is different. Uh, and the first person I'd like to call up is Stephen Carey, uh, who's uh, got a powerful testimony of how God's worked in his life. And uh, I'm just anxious to hear it. So, so welcome, Stephen. I didn't know about this picture. <laughs> I really, found it that, on Facebook. You found it on Facebook? I found it on Facebook. Okay, because I do go often to baseball <laughs> games with our daughter and her fiancé. Gosh. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share with you. It's an honor to just share for a few moments. Um, identity. That's what Charles said. Let's keep it to identity. Uh, there is so much taking place in my life right now. I am learning, after all these years, that I am his son and he is my dad. And I know that now. Well, what happened to you the rest of the years past? Well, it was just working, working, religion, religion, striving, just, oh, doing so much to earn his favor, never knowing, and recently he dropped this on my heart, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And think of it. That's what we really are. We are his sons and daughters. And due to my background, which was a very difficult background, heavy, heavy damage was done to me. I'm not going to go there. But it kept me hiding. It kept me from being my true self. I never knew who I really was as a person or as a Christian. I just knew <laughs> that, that God was there. And religion got mixed in with all this junk that happened to me. But then I was born again in 71. I know I'm dating myself. <laughs> but I was born again in 71. And wow, Jesus came into my heart. And the Jesus movement, movement era... And it just began to be changed. Tremendous spiritual parents I had, and I lived with them for 13 months, changed my life. Uh, there's just so much that happened over all the years, but always still working, still striving, still performing. And, you know, you don't have to be good enough. Okay, always trying to be good enough. I mean, I'm talking 60 years here. My next birthday, I'll be 7-0. So yeah, it's, it's a good 60 years I have been in that scenario. And I couldn't believe what happened a couple of weeks ago because I thought, I thought it was never going to change and get better. 
Come on, you know, Jesus. <laughs> I was reading a devotion on a meditation on resting in God. I belong to a great home group in Castro Valley, and we were studying this. And so I was home reading it, and I started answering the questions that the author was asking you. And I thought, well, what is it? What is this that I struggle with? Doggone it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the stuff that goes on. And I heard the Lord tell me, you're working too hard at trying to be good. I said, what? You are working too hard at trying to be good. Jesus made you good enough. Jesus made you good enough. You're his son. I'm your dad. He's your big brother. Holy Spirit is your comforter. You got it. You, got, you have it all. What do you need? And it's like, well, okay, I don't have to be good. And I, I repented of this. I repented of, of, what's the word I'm looking for? I repented of, I repented of treating God in a religious manner for so many years. And I can tell you, he didn't treat me that way. He was always there, always faithful, always caring, never changed, never said, I had enough of you, I can't take you anymore, get out of here. He wasn't never like that. And I began to see more and more over those years that I was his son. But this was a major crack, a major crack in the wall and in the um, patterns that I live. You don't have to be good enough anymore. Now, this really is overwhelming to me. And I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with you. I have not entered fully into <laughs> with Jesus. Come on, come on. There's so much more. I'm just sort of, uh, there's no grid for this. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I let go of all this. Wow. What's going to happen here? Says, just trust me. Come on, come on. I say, okay, I need some help here. I need a lot of help here. <laughs> In fact, I have some some wonderful people that will counsel me. I mean, these are really deep, deep issues. And 60 years is a long time. I'm not talking 10 or 20. I'm saying 60 years. And I never thought it would change. But it's changing. And I'm his son. And I know who he says I am. That song by Hillsong, I am for you, not against you. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. So Jesus, I thank you. And maybe if there's anybody else here that feels it's never going to change, please don't go down that road. I did, and it took a long time. But he can change you. Because he loves you. Remember, 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Wow, wow. That is honestly just uh, amazing. So thank you, Stephen, for sharing that. That's beautiful. So I get to introduce you to someone who's completely unique but has always got a new story to tell. So I am very happy to invite my wife to speak next. I just want to get rid of this. <laughs> didn't like the picture. Um, I'm under strict instructions from Charles on what to say and what not to say. But I can't quite remember whether he said I can speak for four to five minutes or 45. <laughs> okay, so I, um, I became a Christian when I was 13 and was filled in the, with the Spirit about nine months later. And still at the age of 13, someone in church said, Hey, Tina, can you read the lesson? And I'm like, no. No, 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 go and ask someone else. No, definitely not, because I didn't want to speak in front of people. And I went away and I went, I have God in me. I can read the lesson. And my story is that I've always felt God's presence. I've always felt the, um, the power of God helping me with my life. And and giving me um, help with everything that I wanted to do. Uh, I've always relied on God for help. Everything that's happened, I've included him in my life. I wake up every morning and praise God that I'm alive and it's a new day, and, and I love the world, and thank you for putting me in it. And I've always dedicated everything to him. I've totally felt his protection. I feel that I live under the shadow of his wing. So I put that one up. And, um, but because I've felt the security of God, I've felt I've been able to soar. Um, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go re- grow weary they will walk and not be faint, that I felt because of God's protection, I've been able to um, achieve more. There have been times in my life when God's felt close and other times not so close. Um, The last year has actually been um, quite a year of transformation. Uh, I'm very passionate that uh, when people come to church and they're like, Give me a word, give me a word, I want a word, that uh, it should be a confirming word, that, that I, I've always tried to hear God for myself, and then when I got a word in church, it was the same thing. So, um, so I always, always try to hear God, uh, and, and I ask for visions, I ask for dreams, I go to bed and say, God wake me up in the night and tell me something. Well, no, wake me up in the morning and (laughs) tell me something. Yeah, not in the middle. Um, 
And, and I've certainly learned to, to draw near to God as he draws near to me. Uh, there is a, a song, interesting Stephen had a song, I have a different song. I have a song that is really my life message, um, The Goodness of God by Jen Johnson. I'm just going to read the words. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never failed me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You've led me through the fire. And in darkest night, you're close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. That's my testimony. Do you want to play the song or not? Okay, so we have the song. I'm going to play the song. Uh, Feel free to stand and join in or sit and listen. So we're just going to play um, The Goodness of God. presence is here so yeah I'm just enjoying that I just want to remind us of that invitation uh, that Molly Skaggs lyrics uh, brings home to us so clearly there is a greater something an invitation for more there is a great big someone living inside out of us he's calling He's calling, he's calling us back to the garden. So I just want to thank you, Jesus, that you're calling us deeper into you. Lord God, I just thank you that you desire our fellowship. You're jealous for our, our time and our attention, Lord God. And we, in turn, we're passionate for you. We want more of you, Lord God. Just thank you for how you've been moving in different ones' lives, Lord God. And I pray right now that you'd help us to advance on you, to take hold of that for which you took hold of us, Lord God. That calling on our lives, make it to be something that is just so beautiful for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 